What's up? Well, welcome to another episode of Black in the Maritimes. I'm Fidel, and I'm here with a special guest. Uh, he is a quite accomplished young man. Uh, he's uh, was a model. Uh, he's now a speaker. He's a fitness trainer, and he's uh, has an apparel company called Lost at Sea, which is a very very interesting story. Uh, I definitely I'm I'm very honored to have him because I think he he reached out and I I saw the page, I saw the story, and it's it's quite remarkable. Uh, welcome, Kyle Gabriel. How you doing, man? I'm, I'm good. Thank you, Fidel, for having me. It's it's an honor. Um, Thank I'm, you. Uh, so oh. let's go back. Uh, where did you grow up and, and how did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. Um, it's a fishing village about three hours away from Halifax. So um, it has a mixed community. A lot of, you know, uh, Caucasian people, indigenous people and mixed black people. Right. So um, I grew up there with uh, my father was in my life till probably about five or six. And my mother left him due to um, substance abuse issues. So I grew up pretty much without uh, a father, having a, a mother that played both roles, doing the best she could. We never we never had the finer things in life, but we had a clean home. We had three meals and we had a mother who worked labor jobs to try and provide for three uh, boys of color. That was pretty much shunned upon and her life because her being someone come Caucasian and native, she was uh, shunned upon for having three boys of color. No matter if we were light skin or dark skin, we still had color to our skin, right? So uh, yeah, my upbringing was, uh, was a lot different than most, you know, um, trying to find my identity, also being a big brother, um, going to rural place. Um, at 15 years old, I went to Uniac Square, which was a big culture shock to me because there was a predominantly dark community, which, I wasn't uh, accustomed to, but me not having the proper role models there, I embraced at that time in the, in the early 2000s was uh, the block lifestyle. And if to put it in the fact, it was selling crack cocaine. So me without having the proper role models, there was no internet to even be able to outsource your role models or inspirations from people. So the inspirations came from the other young guys around you. And them themselves were a lot of them fatherless and so we did what we did and a lot of us sold drugs we went to jail I went to jail at a very young age I went to jail for a year at 16 years old and uh, I grew up there pretty much you know without a father and you know I went out and I, I continued to do the things that was to provide for my family and sell crack, crack cocaine and then I went to prison so I grew up very fast you know so 19 years old prison 16 years old young offender jail and uh there I, I I matured into who I am today. You know, I've always been intellectual. I love to read. And uh, I try to put that to the youth nowadays to read, expand your mind. Doesn't mean that you need your technique to go to school. I have a grade nine education, but I'm self-taught. You know, um, I read everything. So that's what uh, has excelled me to be who I am today and to uh, break those generational curses. Oh wow. So, so, so let's just let's take a little bit because I mean, uh, Uniac Square, if you guys listen to our past episode, uh, we have Alex from Family, Family Over Fame. Uh, shout out to him. And we learned a lot about Uniac Square and, and those neighborhoods in, in Halifax, which we're going to go with that. Now, what time did you move from Yarmouth to to Halifax, to Uniac Square? Uh, well, it was mostly uh, during the school year because 
you know, I met two of my cousins who were down from Halifax at the time and in my town and they were down there selling drugs. And I happened to get kicked out of school and they they convinced my mother and they're like, let me take my take my cousin Kyle to Halifax with us. And my mom's boyfriend at the time was from another black community in Guysboro, Nova Scotia. He knew full well. He was like, if you let Kyle go without any supervision, he's not going to come back the same. So, for instance, I grew up in a small town where the system was more racist than the people, because when it's so small, you are all the same color. You fight together, you laugh together, you drink together. It's more the system that's racist. So that being said, there's a lot of rubber boots. There's a lot of fishing. So I remember, for instance, this uh, dressing in a Kobe Bryant jersey, rest in peace, and red lugs. It was no color coordination. But me being from a small town, I just want to wear whatever and fit in. So it was a super shock to the sense of uh, independence of the young men, the hustler mentality. And it was a supreme culture shock for me. And it's to me, I combined the both, you know, and that's how I like to say how I am who I am today. I have the drive. I have the ambition. I have those life experiences that might not be positive at that moment in my life. But I also have small town boy ethics, you know, where I come from a mother. I come from a place where you can unlock your door. So I molded the both. And I would say that, you know, Uniac Square, even though it has a bad name, the sense of community was amazing. I never had a sense of community in Yarmouth through my other black family. You know, the extended family of the Halifax family, they were open with with open arms, you know, and I could that was a sense of family that I never seen before. So even though Uniac could be shunned upon for different things. They had a great sense of community with each other, you know? So uh, I take that as a, as a blessing to experience that. And, and it is, it, it is a blessing and a curse in my opinion. I, I think, uh, and I, I would say the for reference, I, I'm seeing this Netflix series. I've been watching it for, it's called top boy. I don't know if, if anybody say, so it's, it's about gang culture and drug culture in London. Uh, yeah. And when you think of England, the last thing you think is about impoverished neighborhoods and black people. You don't think right. about that. You think about the queen, you think about that. When we think about Halifax, uh, we think about the river, the harbor, uh, you know, those things that the biggest economic, uh, economic in the Maritimes. Uh, we think about the long black history of Africa, but we don't think about the ghetto. We, that, that's not a place that right. people right. don't think about. And they don't think about, like you said, uh, young boys with, without fathers, without guidance, uh, and they look for other guidance among other men. And re depending on how those other men are, uh, you know, in that space, you are going to follow that path, which is what, what you're telling us. So so let's say that you you get out of school in Yarmouth, you, your cousin takes you. So they, they're like your, your influences. These are the, these are your guys that you. Yeah. You, they were you, the gateways to. To, to, to that whole lifestyle, you know, and, uh, Again, I went back and forth, you know, staying there on a monthly basis, going home and, you know, and then they, then my mother could see the transition, but then I ended up, you know, getting in trouble in Yarmouth for drugs and for assaults. And I went to jail, you know, as a, as a juvie and I spent uh, eight months of my life there. And then I came home and I still continued that, that cycle of this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be the bad guy. I'm going to provide, um, and, and that's what I did. You know, I went back to Yarmouth where the price of what we were doing in Uniac was four times the price. So I skyrocketed. Oh, I skyrocketed in that game where my name and the infamy become like so well known where I couldn't breathe. They had investigations. They had operations just designed for me. And um, 
I don't regret it because that's all I know. And if I hadn't did those things, I wouldn't be who I am today or be in the position that I am to inspire other youth or have things I have today because I would still be stuck in that vicious cycle there. So um, I happened to to get a, to get uh, caught in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, and I took a three-year sentence. During that three-year sentence, you know, in prison, there was a lot of things, you know, I had to do that I'm not proud of. I had to fight and uh, end up going all the way up to where you are is uh, to New Brunswick into Renews Prison. And that's a maximum security prison. And um, it's a whole different ball game up there where there was at my time was a lot of Caucasian men, a lot of racistness. And um, I had to evolve into something again that technically I wasn't raised to be. You know, I had to be an animal. I had to be the person to to handle things first before anybody else or and be that protector. And then again, I came home when I was 22 and I went to Dartmouth. I got caught up in a lot of a whole war that happened there. And um, I'm not ashamed to say it, but one of my co-accused, he uh, got arrested in New Brunswick. It was one of the first human trafficking cases, even though I wasn't in charge with that, he was charged with that. So um, after I got out, after all that, I got another federal sentence. I left. I said, you know what? I knew that I always had the good intentions of my heart. It just happens that, you know, me growing up in martial arts and boxing, I've always been able to want to be able to handle myself. So I always take, you know, the horns and I, and I, and I put myself in situations I might not have normal to protect people. So that being said, I left. I left uh, Nova Scotia. I went to Ontario and I ended up meeting this girl who was a fitness model and she had told me, you know, why don't you start competing? And um, I shunned her off at first. I shunned off the whole thing because as being in that hardcore lifestyle, what man thinks he could get on stage in his underwear and start modeling in feminine ways? That is definitely something I did not see myself doing. No, that, that, that's, what I, that's what I'm going to say. Like, I, I'm going to go <laughs> for that because that's that's a, that's a, that's quite a quite a change. Uh, and, I, and it's a it's a positive change, which is amazing. But yeah. when you were in that gang life and that drug life uh, and life of crime, what what did it attract you first? Was it the money? Was it the social gathering? What what was it the first thing that attracted you to go that path? It, I would say it was an influence. Well, it was a sense that I didn't have the finer things. Like my mother, when we were younger, she got into a native housing. So even though I was still in Yarmouth, they put me in a royal place where now I took the school bus. So now I met kids that have two parents. You know, they have vehicles. They both have a career. So at this point, I'm getting a different sense of a family, but then I'm seeing what we're lacking. So my mother, my mother being a hardcore work ethic and wanting the best of me, like I'm intelligent because when I was young before the crime, um, I come in from outside. She'd make me do my alphabets and times tables every night. You know, I used to have uh, awards in school. It, my report card said, no, I've never met no one as smart as Kyle, as long as he could apply himself. That's the key. If I applied myself. So, um, my mother, my mother put me in, in a fish plant. My first job was 12 years old in a fish plant. I spent my whole check on something you related to in the last episode with Alex was on a pair of FUBU jeans. A pair of FUBU jeans, you know. When I was 12 years old, man, that was 2002 and FUBU was the thing. You know, there was no one married. There was no nothing. It was FUBU for young African men and even Caucasian men who want to mimic our life. Uh, I spent my whole check on that. So I knew at that point how much time it took me to, to cut fish, to get that little bit of check and how quick it was to go. And I knew that, you know what, I can't do this forever. Nothing's guaranteed for me. Um, I'm going to go for it. 
And I heard a lot of people's feelings because I used to play basketball at a high level. You know, I have lots of rewards for that. But like I said, I was going to go to university and there was a lot of what ifs. I wasn't willing to take that chance. So I went for it and I did pay the price. I did pay the price. But you know what? I grew while I was in prison. I grew while I was in jail. And then again, you know, me being, you know, someone who can speak, someone who's attractive and fit. I had met somebody who was outside my social class. They were at the gym. They were a psychiatrist. We ne would never have met before, but we met at Good Life. She appreciated me. She see me for weeks at a time and having to find me on Facebook. And that's how it started. So I come up to Ontario. And to, to be real, my little brother's doing a life sentence, Kale Gabriel. He's the first Black Canadian in Canada to do the African cultural assessment. So in Canada, we have something for Indigenous people when they're getting sentenced in court. It's called the Gladue Report. So it takes into consideration the systematic racism of being Indigenous in Canada. Well, so is an African, being African-Canadian, the systematic racism that we've experienced, um, the society injustice. Well, my brother, Kale was the first person. So the reason why we had came up here is my brother had gotten a situation and someone had passed. So they, my brother had getting a life sentence for killing someone in Mulgrave Park. So it should have been self-defense. He got life 10. So we came up here. My brother's now, you know, getting ready to come home. He's changed his life, lots of diplomas, but he's the first person to do that. During that incident, we were still in Ontario doing what we did from Halifax because I didn't quite change at this point. So they caught the cops come up here to get us for murder. I end up having drugs in my pocket. There's a female judge who me with a, a suit on and no tattoos. She give me bail. And at that point, I end up taking this whole advice of joining fitness, joining fitness. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go for it. I divulged into personal development. The best thing I could have did with my life. Wow. That's, that's incredible that you, you lived so much being so young. Um, how does that even like, why doesn't this get more told? Like you're a mixed race kid. Uh, you, you go to a predominantly black neighborhood, Uh, there's a lot of violence. Uh, you make it out. Uh, you know, you, you go to jail and you like, why don't you, uh, what do you think these things don't get uh, talked about in places like the Maritimes? Because it's happening and it, and it happens in places like North Preston's, like UniX. Uh, it, it doesn't happen a whole lot in New Brunswick, but it happens and it happens in PEI. It happens in, why don't, why don't there's light up like people like you? Because I'm pretty sure right now there's boys like you uh, in those places doing those same things that you did before. Yes. Um, I think I think a lot of it is a sense of trying to maybe brush things under the rug or a sense of maybe not knowing how to approach it. You know, a lot of people go through life without wanting to hear the no or just being scared to approach the situation. I think the government as well could be like that. Um, nowadays, we're the time we're in with guys like you creating blogs and now's the time. There's no more that is going to be the kids don't know. They know about Alex. They know about the rest of them. So I think we're in a new wave where, you know, you couldn't deny, like when our parents, they want to die, deny the not.com era. You can't deny the internet and blogs and freedom and kids can just type in anything. So I think now with things like this, we're going to continue to reach more kids. Um, the thing is, you're never going to reach everybody. But this is why I continue to do what I do, because it's not just about the kids before they make those mistakes. What about the young men that have made those mistakes or are those mistakes? I've been there. I'm 35 years old. 
Not until I was 25 did I change my life. You know what I mean? I continued and continued. So we need to have people for those guys as well, because you know what? It's never too late. Your past doesn't need to define your future, but we need the right support networks. We need the right groups. We need more young black men that are confident in themselves and that need to speak. And this is why I tell men, exercise, read. I'm not saying get up and compete, but when you exercise and you bring in better energy, your, your surroundings change, you know, your network change, you change as an individual. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be who I was. If it wasn't for fitness and reading, I wouldn't have developed, you know, and I did. So I encourage all the young men to do that. So after COVID, I'd love to go home and create more workshops, active workshops, you know, not just guys sitting around because you need to engage the youth. That's the problem nowadays. Everybody wants to sit down and sit on the screen and sit no, we need to engage ourselves. Then we build spirits. We build energy. We build a better well-being in the sense of, you know what, community. That's how people strive. When people want to sit back and just take in everything else and out oh, there, we compare ourselves to everybody else. You know, and if you're not in the right path, you're going to compare yourself to the wrong people. You're going to get influenced by the wrong things. You know, top boy is bringing a sense of awareness, but it influences the wrong kids right now. You know, just like Cardi B, you got 10 year old girls shaking their behinds. I'm all for Cardi B being successful, but come on, man, you shouldn't influence certain demographics that need role models more than the rest because they need that positive role model. You know, so I think now we're in a time where things will continue to change for the better because we yeah, have these platforms. And, and I do think I do agree with you, especially when it comes to young black girls and mixed girls and indigenous girls, because it's it's different. The world is different when you're a person of color. Uh, I think that's that's the reality that, that when you have to engage with people like that. And again, such a story as yourself, like you come you went from a small town to a big town and, and you can realize the difference. And again, the world is not the same, especially when you're somebody on color, when you're in the wrong influence. You just get you you get into the mess of chastise of, of like if you hang out with gangsters, they tell you, but that's not you. You you like I said, you 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 were an educated kid, you read, you learn, and and you do that. So I, I do agree with you on that, in that sense that in, there needs to be uh, a little bit more engagement. So let, let's go back to because I saw pictures of that. You you were doing modeling. <laughs> yeah, so you, you get out of you get you get out of jail. Uh you're trying to turn your life around. This is when you're 25. You meet this person at the gym. Uh and then you you, you see that they're modeling other bodybuilding. So what's what's your first thought when you're thinking about like bodybuilding and modeling? Well you know what uh exercise has been a way of my life forever. So that's why they had sort of tried to call me oh so I've been doing martial arts and boxing since I was six. I was lifting weights at 12 at the YMCA by myself. So for me, it was always a way of life. And that's what made them call me out. So for me, I'm prideful. You know, I like competition. I like to win. So the, the head owner of that competition happened to write on my Facebook and was like, bring that fit for life body to the stage. So I'm like, okay, I didn't know nothing. I went to a workshop, you know, and, and, and to really be real, Remember, they, they, the police came up here to get me and my brother for murder. So I had drugs in my pocket. I was on house arrest when I made this change. I was on breakfast television on house arrest. I had billboards across Canada on house arrest. I did all these things when I was supposed to be just another statistic. Do you understand? So it doesn't matter that you could be one step forward and take two back. It doesn't mean it's too late. I've been there. You know, I made all those steps forward. I got pulled back. I was, you know, I got arrested. But you know what? I still had 
the perseverance to be like, you know what? I'm not going to let this define me. You know, so I bought Brian Tracy. I brought uh, the 50th law, 48 laws of power. Um, Mark Echo for um, branding. I divulged into doing things outside my comfort zone. And in that competition, I got on stage in my underwear. And that was the scariest moment of my life. Really? How, how, really? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. You, you deal drugs, you, you, you gangbang. And being outside was the most scary. Because you like, know what? You can't what control this? that element, sort of. You know, I, me as being a strong person, as long as my feet's on the ground, I like to think I can control it. But in that sense, when the lights are going and... You know, I haven't had no water in the last 24 hours. You could, you know, my everything showing ribs, everything. But, you know, I get on the stage and then I'm having to stand and be judged and graded in a way that I've never been my whole life. You know, I'm exposing myself. You're, you're almost naked. I got Calvin Klein little underwear on, you know, so I'm all spray tanned out. My nerves, my 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 cheeks are just fluttering nerves. So I tried to, to, to minimize the situation by looking past everybody, but everybody screaming your name, screaming your name. And it was only about a minute and a half the first round. But like I said, the most scariest moment of my life, because for the fact is I'm doing something that I was not comfortable about. I grew up being a shy boy. So I only grew into who I was later. So at that time, all my shyness comes back out, you know, um, but then again, like I, I say, that's the best thing to happen to me and something I tell everybody. If you really want to succeed in life, you want to test your character, break your comfort zone. Because once you break that, you're never going to be the same person. Because a lot of us set our own boundaries for ourselves. It's our self-doubt. It's our lack of confidence, our not wanting to be judged. But you know what? Being judged, that's only being criticized. And criticized for what? Just look at it as like, you know what? Every day is a new day to become a better version of myself yesterday. And that's what you need to do is break those comfort zones. And that's what I did. And I think one of the things that people don't understand is that is that people make mistakes and you got to get out of your comfort level and you got to get out of the, and those things. Uh, when did you learn to get out of your comfort zone. Uh, I know that that was the scariest thing and you did that, but when you were in situations that were more dangerous than than those ones, because I, I'm assuming that that was like your normal time, but when you did something opposite of that, I think that's that's when you 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 were afraid of things. Like for example, what you said, it was the worst, the worst, the most scary thing in your life. Uh, but when do you think, was that the moment that you wanted, that you said, I need to get out of my comfort zone all the time? Or, or was it something prior to that? Well, once you break your comfort zone once, you don't have that comfort zone no more. So you have the confidence to be like, I don't care if you judge me. Um, I know everything's a learning process. Life is about chapters. We learn, you know, so if you're not failing or you're not pushing yourself, you're not learning. So, I mean, once I got, once I did it once, I didn't look at it again as, can I continue to get out of it? Cause I was already out of it. At this point I was ready. I was ready to divulge. So at that point, when I got on stage, my, uh, my networks changed, you know, so no longer was I home being influenced around, you know, the corner or, or people I knew that, that needed something, you know, I was here, I was reading, I was training. I always loved to train. I always did. So this gave me more of a push, you know, and at that point, I just continued to, to have the different conversations, meet the different people. I started doing charities um, 
And then just life had changed. You know, I, I just, that's the best way I could say it is, you know, the comfort zone chose, you know, me to continue pushing forward and learning, always being ready to learn, you know, no matter what it was. Wow. So let's go. So you, you're doing this modeling, uh, you're, you're, Again, you're still a young man. You're still in your 20s, uh, mid 20s, mid something like that. And and you're out of this situation uh, and you're doing all of these places. And what what changes other than I'm not in the corner anymore? I'm not in the ghetto anymore. I'm not doing drugs no more. I'm not in jail anymore. I'm, I'm a model. What else changes in your head? Like, does it does it seem like a, a progress step? Like there's there's a future prior to what you were before what locked changed, up or, or be honest, you know, was the messages I started receiving because during that time I had received photo uh, photographs, obviously, you know, so when you would post those and people that had seen you at your worst and when they see that different, that you broke the comfort zone, they can relate to you because they know you, you're not no longer just somebody on TV. They knew you since you was a kid. So now those people that you might not even talk to when you're getting messages on like, you know what? I'm so proud of you. Continue doing what you're doing. It's like, I didn't even talk to you or I might've beat up your brother and you're messaging me now, but you know, that's the fulfillment. You know that, you know, I'm doing something right. And I'm not going to say every day was easy because there's days where I didn't get modeling paychecks, but it was that type of fulfillment that keep me going and then it wasn't always you know modeling because of my tattoos because of I didn't want to lose my muscle um I didn't want to be one of those runway boys you know I was still an alpha so I didn't always get gigs so at that time I went to personal training you know and I personal trained at good life and I loved you know making people overcome you know their past you know and seeing those people make those hundred pound transformations that's what I loved you know because life isn't just about you It's about what you're doing for others. And I find that's always was my biggest reward once I changed, you know, my mentality. Oh, yeah. And I, I definitely think that that is amazing that you not only were you able to do your life, but other people's life. So by personal training and, and doing the modeling and things like that, uh, did you realize that you had uh, the potential to change life? Because you just said that, you know, you, you did this with people and people change. So did you realize that you had that potential as well? Yes, yes, 100%. Um, because you know what, I get it from my father, you know, um, he loved to talk, I love to talk, you know, and when when people when you have a story, and you you realize that people are captivated when you speak and you, you tell it, then you realize you have a gift. And you need to follow that gift, you know, so that's what it was for me. And that when, like I said, those messages continue to come, and you, you to making that change for people. You know, that's for me, that's how I knew I was on the right path and I had to continue to doing this for me. And then, you know, I end up becoming a father. So why not continue to change everybody's lives while I'm raising daughters, you know, and this is father fatherhood changed you tangents you for sure that 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 is so that's a that's a part that i wanted to talk to you also let's talk about your father that gets to the story of, of lost at sea uh you said that your father left uh when you were five and you lived yes. with your mother did you ever reconcile with him yes well i mean you know my father struggled he was a fisherman you know and he struggled with substances so he had a lot of broken promises in and out in and out so when i got out of juvie at 16 I happened to see him across the street, the liquor store, and I'm at the a shoe store. Uh, it's called Louis Shapiro at the time, equivalent to a big footlocker. So I waved to him, like, come here, you know, and uh, he was like, uh-uh, 
he he didn't want no part of it because I was always pretty aggressive and you know was known to fight and he didn't I would, but I told him listen come here I'm not going to hurt you I'm like I don't need a father but we can be a friend so at that moment we reconciled you know and there's some people that might be say what I did because you know when we reconciled I was still in the game I was young I was 16 I was selling crack cocaine he was an addict even though he provided for his habit by fishing so we had that weird relationship where we would still be best friends but I knew he still wanted drugs. So for me to be in his life the way I was, I provided that, you know. Um, but we become really, really, really tight for a few years. And then I went back to prison. I went to prison. And then you know what? It's ironic because we were cellmates before I got out. When I would, I, wow. when I would, yes, that's how crazy. We were cellmates probably for 30 days. Um, I went to, for that whole, I went down with conspiracies in Dartmouth at that time, the human trafficking, one of the co-accused went down human trafficking. He ends up coming through on his federal sentence. Like my father comes from a very broken home in, uh, in Nova Scotia where my grandfather and his brother, they used to get drunk and shoot at each other over chickens. You know, like they're super, super hillbilly-ish um, of African Canadians. So he grew up very broken. And uh, for a long time, I judged him. But I don't know what it's like to walk in and see your mother on the ground with ashtrays over on her head and people shooting over her and just being used as that type. So I don't he suffered unimaginably. I had a strong mother. I didn't suffer in that way, you know. So with his passing, I, I don't judge him. I, I, I forgive him. But that being said, my father went to prison as well. So he was going back on a violation I was due to get out. So the guard come over and say, oh, your dad's here. I ain't seen my dad in probably two years at this point. So he comes over, opens up the door, and there he is. Boom, me and father. He, I'm all big. You know, I've been inside doing push-ups. And, you know, we grasp, we give a hug. He's my cellmate. I was so happy to see him for 30 days. So, but then I told him, you know, um, you know, this is your second sentence. You've had this long duration clean. You have grandkids. You know, I know you love us, but we can't continue to allow us allow you in our life when you're under you're going to continue to do these things he's like no i promise you i promise you unfortunately he didn't keep his promise so we all during these this, this stuff with the murders in mall grief park we migrated to ontario where my mother we had lived for a year so we were up here i made the change i haven't talked to my father so the the biggest hurt on him is he loved me so even though i made those that modeling change he would see people on the street and he'd be like yo you got kyle on your facebook can you show me his modeling pictures? Can you show me his twins? So he knew that I did and all those achievements. And he'd talk about, oh, on the fishing boats, me, oh, my son's up there bodybuilding. And you, know, you see Kyle. But at the end of the day, he didn't talk to me. So that's a pain you can't run from. And I know he was trying to numb that pain with drugs and, and that alcohol. So unfortunately, December 15, 2020, my father was lost at sea and along with five other men. I took it from that as that he's no longer suffering. So let's, we'll slow it back. And that, that's how I started this brand was in December 15, 2020, my father was aboard the Chief William Solace along with five other courageous, brave fishermen. And uh, a rogue wave supposedly had took that boat. 30 days, there was no confirmation. There was no search and rescue, couldn't find it. So 30 days later, they happened to locate my father's vessel under 200 feet of water off of the lapse, Nova Scotia. They determined that due to the undercurrent, the tow, we come from some of the highest tides in the world, the Bay of Fundy, unfortunately. So where it was, they're saying if they pulled the boat up and the undertow was so strong, it would beat it to pieces. 
So they determined to leave it. My question is, if you can dive 12,000 feet for artifacts for the Titanic, you can't go 200 feet to even confirm that the bodies are in the hole, which we believe they are, because they weren't found. Only one man was found the next night, deceased, Michael Drake from Newfoundland. Um, he was found due to he was steering the boat. My father and the captain and them guys, we believe, were getting rest in the hole when the waves, two waves, it's a road wave. It's like winning the lottery, but with your life. And unfortunately, you don't make it. So to this day, we know where the boat is, but we don't know where my father is. We don't know where the rest of his people are. So I created a brand, Lost at Sea, um, Risen from Pain, to create awareness for my father and along with all those Lost at Sea because Maritimers, this is not something that's going to go away. This has been the way of life since Noah's Ark, you know, if you believe in that. Um, so at the end of the day, we have to create awareness to why these things happen. Can we prevent them? Also, the harshness of the seas. Like my father and a lot of all his friends were addicts because of how hard the water was or full-blown alcoholics, you know. And I just want to bring awareness to that, you know, because it doesn't need to happen, you know, or we need some sort of, you know, governing body on the, on the, and I know a lot of guys are going to hate me for this because they all love the party, but on the friggin' oil rigs, if you can have a piss test, why can't you have it on the boat? And I understand it's a little crazy because you should be able to live your life on the, on the water and I understand. So it's a touchy subject, but we need some sort of mandate. We need to some sort of governing body where guys are safe. The safety measures are more because you know what? That boat shouldn't have been out that far. That boat was a lobster boat that was converted. So you bent the rules. I'd agreed. That vessel should not have been that many miles out. So it was a whole storm. All the vessels hightailed it back in shore when they seen on the news that this was this storm was coming in. But my father and them guys were fishing on a vessel that shouldn't have been that far, that was converted, that went that far. So when they all got the warning and the weather cast, they couldn't make it back in time. They pretty much perished right at home. That's why all the fishermen were so mad and willing to go against the law and bring them back themselves. Because they're right there. How did you get lost at sea right there? You're off the laps. That's 45 minutes. That's right there. They're pretty much another 10 minute steam. I guess the boys would have made it safe. But they're just off our ocean shelf. So this year was yeah, just... that, sorry about that I, I, no no i think uh, i think one of the one of the things that happens uh within our community in the maritimes is that uh if there's if it's just poor people or people that are like you know uh, under underrepresented or underdeveloped or fishermen like you said I, I think i i i had to do some research about the, what happened uh in that day and there's there's not much of it there, there's really not a whole lot of it uh, I, I did see that uh, your dad comes from a family of fishermen and he's one of the, uh, you know, there is a there is a legacy of black men that were fishermen and lived off the land. And what my take would be, and I don't know if this is your take, is that uh, this went in, but these were people that were in humble beginnings. They have their issues, like you said, and to some extent, they kind of didn't matter to the bigger system. Uh, and I think that's that's what happens with not just what happened to your father uh, and those men, but that what happens to a lot of men uh, or people that are that are underdeveloped, underrepresented, or they they are not part of the bigger aspect of the economy uh, of of the maritime. So I don't know if if maybe that's the part, or because 
Uh, again, I just I never heard 100%. of this. Like, if it you. had been, it had been one of those high up person's daughter or son, they would have went. They would have went for more answers. I'm not saying that what happened could have been prevented. In that 100, it could have been prevented. But afterwards, the search party, the once you've located the vessel, the more could have been done to at least put some sort of closure for us. You know, like I'm not saying risk more lives to go down and confirm if the bodies are in there, but you can send an ROV a remotely operated vessel that can go in. You went for the Titanic at 12,000 feet. This is 210 feet to be precise. So, but at the end of the day, I stopped pushing that fight. I will let the transportation board in Canada continue to do their investigation. Maybe they will. Maybe eventually my father's estate that, you know, I'm head of will continue to uh, receive photography and will say that they're there. But regardless of that, we need to continue to fight to bring awareness to this, that they're not forgotten, that if there is injunctions that can be changed, it needs to be changed. And, you know, that there are black men, there are indigenous men, there are people of color that do matter and that they should be remembered. They should have more of a system for them to turn to and not be just the quick, easy way out or, or be a pawn in life. We're not pawns. You know, this is this is not chess. We're all equal. You know, so we all should guaranteed be able to have the resources to be found, to be recognized, to have someone to turn to or have funding. And this is where I, and I think with podcasts like yours, we'll continue to be able to, to have a voice and eventually people will hear. We will get people in power and we'll continue to make change. But it, it starts by people like me, like you, and the rest to continue, and Alex, and all those great people before us, you know, George and Crozier, all them people that are of color that continue to push and break boundaries and give back to the community, so I think it is yeah. making a little bit of a change. And I think I think so, too. I think by having these types of conversations uh, is part of making those changes, because again, people will hear this, people will will notify that this 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 story exists, yeah. And and that's how how things can move forward. So this is the moment that you decide to do this apparel line. Now, in the meantime, like you you get the idea. How do the how does it become from an idea to the reality to get like like shirts and stuff and and, well, and kind first, of keep move that? To be honest, I I created at first was the name and a different image. It was the name Chief William Solace, you know, because at first I wasn't thinking of the big, I wasn't thinking about nobody else at the time. I was thinking about my father and keeping the memory alive. You know, I was still in mourning. So for the first four months, I had a different logo. I had the actual boat incorporated with an anchor and the name Chief William Solace. But due to some flack, I won't give her any little bit of credit, even saying her name on this thing. But one of the family members, when it all costs to try to message TV stations, police to try and sabotage you. But like I said, perseverance. I changed the name at that point, you know. So that's what gave me the, the idea. You know what? i got to change this because I'm realizing during my story that before the Lost at Sea was Chief William Solace, people are saying, you know what? I've lost my people um, however long years ago. So I'm like, you know what? To show them that I'm not just receiving money, this all come out of my pocket. I invested over $20,000 of my own money and giveaways. I give in a way everything just to create the awareness because without creating the trust, people are not going to buy from you. So I just, I, I, I message people, yo, do you want to rep my brand, take me a picture on the water or so forth? So I changed it and I kept pushing. Once I changed it, then I relayed the, realized the impact I made. So, for instance, young man in Nova Scotia, an indigenous guy, messaged me. I love your brand. I sent him a shirt for free and a hat. 
he messages me and says, you know, I lost my father 26 years ago. I really relate to your brand. His brother, how ironic that when he showed his brother my brand, his brother's like, you know, I want to get the brand also because our father, he gets lost at sea. An indigenous guy. This is just in the last year. So the one brother has my brand because of his father 26 years prior is lost at sea. Shows his brother. His brother's now is like, when I get back in from fishing, I want to. Gets back in. Sometimes you don't get a chance to do nothing. You go back out. And that process of going back out, he never came back in. So, and his last name's Glow. You know, he's he's an indigenous guy. But I just felt like that's how I had to keep pushing because I was creating unity and community with people who didn't have that before. Because I understand it's it's you know it hurts to remember people that are gone. But what hurts what hurts them even more to not be remembered? You know how selfish is it for us to be like, oh, it hurts. I don't want to shed some tears, but yet you're gonna let their memory disappear. They didn't, they didn't risk their whole life bringing you that seafood, that lobster you like to take pictures with, that shrimp or whatever it is you like. Have some more respect for those people, you know? And it shouldn't be just about you. Oh, it hurts me to remember, you know? So I didn't let those people, you know, get into me and, and deter me from doing this. I let everybody that was messing me worldwide was like, you know what? I, I love this brand. I relate to this brand. And I kept, I just kept pushing because it's it was for me, it was a healing healing process to bring pride. And when I seen everybody else, the pride from the pictures coming back, then I realized that, you know what, this is what I keep got to keep doing, you know? So this is, it's beyond skin deep. It's me. It's a way of life, you know? So this is what made me change. So what do you think are been like your biggest gains from this experience? And what do you think are your biggest obstacles from this same experience? Uh, My biggest gain, what I would be, would be the sense of, community you know how many people that really get inspired you know by somebody or uh a brand that relates to something that they've they've went through you know we all want to relate to somebody you know we don't shouldn't be looking at the people that we really don't relate to you know that people are on tv acting something they're not you know regards these reality shows, we shouldn't relate to those people. We need to relate to something homegrown, people that show it's pure and how people overcome things. Because we all, and as humans, will continue to go through things in life. Adversity is never going to disappear. You know, so the only way you get through it is to continue to be able to relate with people who overcome it and can, you know, support you while you go through it. So that's how I'd have to say is my biggest thing from this is the sense of community and uh, the movement that I'm building with it, man. You know, there's a lot of people that are more prideful, I should say, with the brand than me. And I created it. You know what I mean? I'm receiving so much love and, and pictures and, you know, kids and, and everybody, generations being passed on with this. So that's my biggest fulfillment, man. Um, I would say my biggest obstacles is as being, it would be as being as someone as color. You know, they, people don't want to assist you as easy, you know, or might not want to recognize your, you know, might not want to reshare your content or, you know, they want to always doubt your intentions, you know, don't look at the past because as individuals, we all have a past, you know, um, none of us are perfect, but at the end of the day, I think that's, that's what it is. You know, you have to look at it as that, as that, you know, people are always going to try and stop you to shine. But you know what, to continue to keep connecting with people of color and people who have experiences like things like mine, 
then there's nothing that's going to be able to get in the way, you know, because with numbers, everything is, you know, achievable. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, I think a lot of a lot of people of color have diff- have a, a little bit of issue trying to get their businesses or trying to get a, a message or something across. And I think it's also not only because we're people of color, but I think it's the same thing that we we kind of get lost or put in the back of the bus when it comes to to things that uh, people do, especially with apparel brands and, and I don't know, any type of technology and things like that. I think if a, a, a counterpart, which would be white, would uh, get more notoriety than usually somebody of color or indigenous, just because uh, they don't really think about us first. Uh, right. I think that's, that's one of the things. Oh, and, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no. And I think that's, that's, that's something that you, that you've been, we said, uh, you know, have accepted, and I heard it not just from you, but from many others as well. well. Yes, well, a lot of us, when we have that start, we don't have that support system, you know, we don't we don't have the people we can turn to to be able to assist us, regardless of it's their experiences, they've been there, done that, or if it's finances, or it's education. A lot of us, we're doing it for the first time ourselves and the first in our generation. So we don't have nobody else to turn to. We don't have that assist. So, but you know what, like I tell people, it's not about the cards that you're dealt. It's how you deal them. So if I had everything handed to me in life, I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't be able to be able to be that inspirational person who has that drive, who has that story of overcoming adversity and having a single mom and growing up of color and being in prison, being in jail. You know what? I am who I am because I went through those. You know, so I'm happy I went through it to make you who I am. So if I continue to make a difference in millions of other young black men and other people of all colors, then you know what? I will do whatever I did over and over again if it makes difference for everybody else. You know, me as being a big brother, I've always sacrificed myself. So if I sacrifice myself and my own hardship to make everybody else have a better life, then that's what I'm here for. Yeah, that, that's a powerful message right there. So what is your overall accomplish with this brand and with what you do, like with the speaking and, and everything that you do with your personal training? Like what, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you hope for your legacy to be with all of the things that you're doing? Oh man, I would love for, you know, for people to remember me for somebody who did whatever he could for everybody else, for somebody who, you know, even though the cards are stacked against you, you didn't give up because like I said, there's times where I've had it all. There's times where I had nothing. You know, there's even times where I went to a food bank once in my life because I want to live the right path. And, you know, I was roofing and times are a little bit tough. And my mother's like, stay on the track, stay on the track. You did all this modeling. You have great support network. Keep pushing. So at that time, when I could have went back to doing those things, it was the perseverance. Say, you know what? I've come too far. I'll go to the food food bank today, but I'm going to keep pushing because tomorrow's going to be a new day. And now, look, that was years ago. You know, and I have twins. I'm successful. I inspire people. So I want to be remembered as somebody who is who continue to keep pushing forward to learn and to help others. And that's it. And that broke generational curses, man, because as black men, we have a lot of generational curses. A lot of us grow up in toxic work environment, not work environment, a toxic family environment. So for someone that can be known of breaking all that and turn my Gabriel name from being shameful to prideful. And that then that's a blessing. Oh wow! Like I mean, Kyle, you have a one of the most amazing stories that I heard, and and I think uh, it's kind of important. That's what the reasons why we do this podcast because I think it's kind of important to get people like you, uh, and you know, 
get the story around and hear the showcase and hear what you're what you're bringing up uh, to the world. So uh, if people want to go and get your apparel and know about you or know about your brand, where do they go to? Uh, you could go to my website at lostatsco.com or you could go over to my IG at lostatsea underscore promo. I'm always on Facebook. I have an open public account at Kyle Gabriel. We have a Facebook group, Lost at Co. Um, you can find me on mostly all platforms, hashtag Lost at Co, Chief William Solace. And uh, I'd be more than, I'm very, you know, direct. You can message me. If you're having a down moment, I will try and give you some real words of encouragement. Or you could just come get the brand. But either way, I hope to see you. It's a movement. It's a lifestyle. It's not just a one-time purchase thing. I want to help you be the best version of yourself. So it's more than just a, a product. Oh, that's amazing. So I have one last question for you. And this is a question that I ask to most people. Uh, what is it for you to be Black in the Maritimes? Whew. Wow. You know what? Growing up, at a time before the internet, I would say it was being lost, you know, um, you're growing up in a community where not necessarily the people, everybody, you know, because they, they, they're pretty receptive, but a lot of the system or, you know, like a lot, it was, it was curiosity to the sense where you weren't welcomed fully, you know, you had a sense of misidentity. Where do I belong? Especially me. I'm not the darker skinned African Canadian. I'm I'm a lighter male. But in Nova Scotia, and I terribly believe they think I'm Latino. In Nova Scotia, no matter what color you are, they know you're black. So there was a little different. It was a little harder, you know, of my school friends taking me home, finding out who my father, my, my last name was, and never being allowed to come back for dinner. You know, so I had to grow up with that type not getting sleepovers, not, get, so, you know, it was a lot of, you know, you're growing up hurt, you're growing up angry, you want a sense of, um, to connect, you know, my mother worked all the time, so I wanted to relate, I wanted to feel accepted, and I never had that, you know, I never had a big brother, I am the big brother, so, um, that being said, it, it was tough, I would, I would have to say, you know, very, very tough, very lonely in that sense, no sense of, you know, identity. Wow, that's, uh, that's deep right there, so, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen and people of the internet, Kat Gabriel, uh, thank you so much for being in the podcast. I, I, I really learned a lot from you and uh, keep on doing what you're doing, man. And we're, we're anything here, we're here to help you. Uh, whatever you need in this platform, uh, it's yours. So anything you need, there's always something. So thank you for being with us. Thank you, Fidel. Thank you. So if you want to know more, just go to our website, blackinthemaritimes.com. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and like. Uh, give us a rate on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Peace out.